United States of America as a government of the people, for the people, and by the people has lasted longer than any Western government that loved people and stood by the truth of God's word longer than any other one. 244 years, long time. I want to remind you as we, we sang one of my favorite songs, the Star Spangled Banner, the story of that. It, it was not in what we would consider the Revolutionary War in, the, in the, uh, the time before we became a country. It was in the War of 1812 against England. That Francis Scott Key, an attorney who was an amateur poet, decided to pen some words as he was aboard a ship communicating to people that were being literally held in detention about whether or not the flag at Fort McHenry was still raised. For there was a commitment made by England that they would destroy that. There were gathered around 40 cannons at Fort McHenry, and there were over 100 battleships from England. The greatest armada that England had ever, to that point, gone against a country with. And their determination was one thing, to take that flag out. For they knew if the flag was destroyed, they could come and take back what they believed was rightfully theirs. Now, Francis Scott Key was an attorney from, from Washington, D.C. and New York, and that in itself is a little scary. But back then, he was a man of great honor and of Christian faith. And as he penned those words and he looked out and he watched, he prayed incessantly like all the, the Americans that were held there that, that that flag would stand. I've seen that flag before, like many of you. In Washington, D.C., it was displayed there many, many years ago in the 70s. And I had the, the opportunity of seeing it in the Smithsonian as it was on display there for a period of time. That flag was torn to shreds. But the men in Fort McHenry never let it hit the ground. They held it up. It wasn't straight. For the flagpole was hit many multiples of times. Men died all around it. Holding it up. Keeping it up. To prove that God would keep his promise. In fact, the, the very phrase that we put on, on our coinage, in God we trust, came from this poem that became a song. And we live in a world now that seemingly doesn't respect that anymore. Well, I say seemingly. I think most Americans do. But we have an enemy within that does not. Don't believe it. And don't give up. And don't back down as we celebrate this Saturday. The 4th of July is very important. Don't allow the image in the clouds of evil to lead you away from what you know is true in your heart. For if America falls, the world falls. And we must stand no matter what. Today we're looking at a passage of Scripture 
where a man who was a trickster met a greater trickster. But God used something that was considered horrible as something wonderful to form in Jacob literally the character of a man that could put forth a nation from his own family. God can do that. This story is not about the direction of Isaac. It's not even about the deceit of Laban. This story is always and only about God, about the ultimate designer of all things remaking that which had been broken. And only God can do that. He has a way of taking what man destroys and breaks and putting it back together and making it better than it was before. Only God can do that. There's a story I read years ago in the paper about Laurie Johnson of Huddlestonville, Michigan, was talking about a wonderful afternoon with her two sons. One was 12 years old and one was six. And they were spending time with their grandfather, who they had not seen before. And while they were there in the midst of everything, as grandfather started to leave, he looked at the 12-year-old and he said this. He said, Matthew, you've made my day. And Matthew looked back at him and he said, no, sir, God made your day. I just put the icing on it. Now, I've thought about that quote, in the middle of a little article in a newspaper. And I've thought many times the wisdom of that young man. God makes our day, and we choose whether or not we make it a better day or a horrible day. It's important for us to understand that God is in every day. Now, I want to tell you something. If you turn on cable television, you're not going to hear anything about your day that you need to hear. You're going to hear different stories and confusing stories and derogatory stories and horrible stories and stories that will make you hold your breath and your blood pressure will go up and you'll get frustrated and you won't know what to believe. Let me give you a word to go back to. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understandings or even the network's understandings. And all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. I am so thankful that we have a God that understands where we are. And he loves us. In the book by William P. Young, The Shack, there's a discussion between a man who is searching for truth in life after the, the death of his youngest child, his daughter, at the hands of a serial killer. In a conversation with God that's so very pointed, I've read the book many times, I've taught the book once, and I've actually seen the movie. There's a conversation that goes like this. God says to him, The problem is that many folks try to grasp some sense of who I am by taking the best version of themselves, pro projecting that to the nth degree, factoring in all the goodness they can perceive, which often isn't much. And then they call that God. Now listen to what he says. This is so powerful. He says, I am not merely the best version of you. 
that you can think of. I am far more than that. Above all that, that you could ever ask and you could ever think. You see, the problem is today, we don't take God seriously. We want to make God in the image of what we can imagine. We want to give Him lip service from time to time and read His Scripture and hope that it molds to our agenda. As one person put it, and only a doctor can appreciate this, taking God seriously means that we let God be our great physician, not our PDR. Sometimes we want to just make God fit into our plans, but that's not the way He wanted to have a relationship with us. We must choose to find joy in God's good gifts to us every day. We must elect to take pleasure in His gracious generosity, even in times of frustration and anxiety. The title of this sermon is Serendipity, the Master at Work. And I picked that because the word serendipity is one that's very special to me. Serendipity comes from one of the great early writers of the dark romantic Saint Sir Horace Walpole in 1754, told a little short story called A Persian Fable, The Three Princes of Serendip. And that's where the word came from. Every time they went on a journey, they found valuable things that they were not looking for. That's what it means to be serendipitous. You find things that you needed so badly, but you really weren't looking for them. You were taken on a journey by someone, God, and He brought you to a place that you could not imagine. Just think of our children or grandchildren tearing through their presents on Christmas morning. Could anything make you any happier? The joy on their faces, the happiness that they see, that is the nearest we will come to the understanding God has when He gives us a blessing that we didn't expect, didn't know where to find, but He brought it along and it changed our life forever. That's what God wants to do, and that's exactly what He did in the life of of Jacob. Jacob thought, just like he had in, in, in earlier times, that he could manipulate the situation. He looked and, and he saw this beautiful woman, Rachel, and he thought, this is the one. And when Laban asked him, said, you know, what do you want to work for? Her. Seven years. Now, he said the seven years passed like it was nothing because he was in love. But then when he lifted the veil, the real veil, not these little bitty thin things that they have that's made out of tool, a real veil, and found out that in the darkness of that tent, he'd been hornswoggled, as they say in Texas. But you know what? He didn't have a choice. He was married. And so he served another seven years. I want to tell you something. It was not in the act that Laban, uh, you know, perpetrated against him that changed him. It was in the 14 years of keeping his mouth shut, yet listening to the voice of God that changed him. God, in serendipitous actions, gave him something he could never imagine. And so many of us don't understand how God works in that way. 
We tend to complain about what we don't have rather than acknowledging what we do have. We tend to push aside what we used to think mattered and we look out there at an image of what we think will make us happy. A few years ago, Professor Vicki Medivac completed a fascinating doctoral thesis studying Olympic silver and bronze medal winners. And here's what she wanted to know. She wanted to find out if those who had a silver medal felt more, you know, just completed than those that had a bronze medal. And guess what? The exact opposite was true. And strangely enough, she discovered this, that because the silver medalists tended to focus on how close they came to winning gold, and they didn't, they were frustrated. But the ones that won bronze, they were just happy to place. They didn't worry about two steps up from them. They were, they were just thankful that they were on the platform. And she said that she discovered something about human nature that she had never imagined before. That there is a continuity in human greed and selfishness that you can track and you can understand. Where is your focus in life? On what God has given you or on what you want Him to give you? Are you willing to accept what he has given you and understand that there's a purpose and a place for that? Are you willing to accept the fact that, that he loves you and cares about you and has given you this? We without the Holy Spirit cannot even diagnose our own illnesses, let alone treat them. And yet we want to tell God how to bless us and what to give to us. You see serendipitous feelings, the inklings that we might have are so important because it tells us that God is working in our life. It's that feeling of knowing that God is there. That little touch that He'll give you. That, that, that encouragement that comes from nowhere else but God. The reminder that He will give you that, that just lets you know everything's okay. That's what will make you adhere to His discipline. And after all, isn't that what was going on with Jacob? He needed to understand that he was not to do what he felt was best, but he was to receive the discipline of God that would change him, that would lead him away from generations of trying to manipulate life in the midst of forgetting that the hand of God was there to lead. We've got to learn that Sometimes the roughest situations in life are the best. Appreciate even the rough times that God allows to smooth out the rough edges in your character. We all have character flaws. We all have weaknesses. And God wants to improve on that. He wants to move us closer to His image. He wants us to look like His Son. Yet so often we go like a little child headed toward his weekly bath, kicking and screaming. And God wants to change us. God often works in our lives through a mediator. And what I mean by that is, it's not God in heaven standing down there speaking to you, telling you what you should become. Now that will happen. 
And when that happens, when you read God's Word and you pray and you wait for what we call guidance, God guiding you or leading you, sometimes He will guide you through a mediator. Someone out there that is walking with God that may be ahead of you or beside you or behind you, but they're listening to God, and they'll speak truth to you. God does that. He has a way of speaking to us and giving us the guidance we need when we need it. Hebrews 12 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Yet later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained to it. That's exactly where we must go. One of the great theologians, Gordon MacDonald, went through a dark time in his life, a moral failure. It happened while he was a pastor and a Christian leader, very prominent. But it was a sad time for him and a dark time. MacDonald wrote about it recently, and it was interesting to read what he said about a lifelong mentor that came alongside him. And the mentor told him this. He said, in our worst moments of shame and humiliation, God comes and lives in our home, and he brings us through the storm. And he not only mends us from the break that is there, he makes us stronger. And he gives us a ministry. He's, Gordon MacDonald said this. He said, you were both through this crisis momentarily in a great darkness. He said, you've got a choice to make. And he said, just like Jacob in the 14 years of service to Laban, you must decide to embrace the hand of God that is unseen but sensed, unfelt, but aware, and know that he is there guiding you. You must embrace the pain together and let its purifying work change you. And if you will do that, you will see serendipitous things happen in your life. And he said you will see an adventurous future modeling what true repentance and grace is all about. Oh, dear people, don't spend your life running from problems. Spend your life yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. And God will prepare you. Just as broken as Jacob was, God made of him a great nation. For out of his loins came Israel. It was through his brokenness that they grew. And it is through our brokenness that God will grow us. Be faithful to that. Don't run from anything. Don't run from the virus. Don't run from the danger in our cities. Don't run from any of that because God will use that to equip you because after all, there's only one antidote to the disease of pestilence, and pride that is destroying our land, and that's Jesus Christ. You carry the healing within you. Don't fail to prepare to be a healer. Let us pray. Father, I thank you.
that you give to us truth that transform, will transform our lives if we'll allow it. And I pray that you would speak to someone this morning who's struggling with a situation in life that, that seems to be absolutely confounding them in every way. And I pray that you would give them the peace that passeth all understanding, knowing that you will love them and lead them through all things. Now, God, bless us and speak to us and give us a word of hope that we need even now that will encourage us, that will guide us, and that will give us the direction, faithfully, even now, in a time of stillness. Lord, we pray as we begin to sing this hymn that we will be honest to the words that we sing. For you take us as we are if we are willing to come and listen. And I pray that we will come before you and allow you to guide us in a mighty way. For it's in your holy name I do pray. Amen.